We are taking a short break from our series, The Gospel in Genesis. We've concluded the stories of Adam and Noah. And after this short series that we're doing now, we'll jump back in with the gospel of Abraham. We'll spend a little bit more time with Abraham. But today we're starting a four-week topical series entitled, Now What? So you have become a part of Grace Life. Perhaps you've been a part of Grace Life for 10 plus years. Perhaps you've been a part of Grace Life for a week or two. No matter how long you've found yourself a part of this body, now what? What happens now? What's next? Well, each year we want to reflect on the values, the mission of Grace Life. We want to take that time, usually in the summer. I know we're kind of inching towards fall. Uh, But we want to take some time just to be reminded and kind of recalibrate, recenter around the values and the mission of Grace Life. And the way that we're doing that this year is to kind of focus on uh, several topics that might not necessarily be our values, but our values speak into them. So that's what we're going to do here as we, we talk about these things. The mission of Grace Life is rather simple. You guys have heard me say this often. It's on the pens, it's on the website, um, all that kind of good stuff, but it's Well, actually, our values are, not our mission statement. But our mission statement is to preach the gospel and make disciples. Our mission is not something we set for ourselves. It's set for us by our chief shepherd. Luke 24 tells us this, Jesus speaking to his disciples, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And Matthew records it in Matthew 28 this way. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Hmm. I am with you always to the end of the age. So our values, this is what I mentioned is on the pen, uh, are how we aim to carry out this mission. Our values are gospel, community, mission, and family. In this series, we want to take a look at several topics, uh, and these topics are mission, serving, giving, and worship, and we're going to see how our values speak into these topics. So what does grace-fueled, gospel-centered serving, or giving, or worship look like? We'll talk about that over the next few weeks. The title for today's message is Community on Mission. As we go to pray this morning, uh, let's please remember Millard and Diane Walker's grandson, Liam. He's three years old. He's in the hospital right now, Galasano, under observation, uh, possible appendicitis. Uh, So let's remember him and the family. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness that you've shown to us, Lord. As we study this series over the next few weeks, I ask that you would just... Show us how that love and that grace that you've given to us can be demonstrated in all sorts of different ways. Lord, the abundance of what we have received overflows, and as it spills out, it's seen in how we love each other, serve each other, how we worship, how we give, and how we tell others about you. Help us to see that clearly over these next few weeks. Father, we do pray for little Liam. Lord, we ask that you would touch him, that you would be with him and the family, Lord. Uh, Lord, we ask for a quick healing. Um, Lord, if it is appendicitis, that uh, you would either miraculously heal that or uh, just give the doctors quick uh, insight into it that they would move quickly, Lord. And uh, just 
Give him courage. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we begin, I want to start by looking at a community of hope. Would you turn to Romans fifteen thirteen, or look at the screen? Romans fifteen thirteen. may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now, I shared this passage, which is a benediction, several weeks ago, and it's just been kind of rattling around in my mind ever since. And it is infused with all sorts of gospel promises, amazing promises from God. I mean, this is kind of like the understatement of the year, but so is the entire letter to the Romans. So I encourage you to read that. Before we unpack this, I just want to give credit to Ray Ortland and Matt Chandler. Some of this message is based on books and messages from them, uh, so I felt it was uh, right that I mentioned that at the beginning here. This benediction is a promise of grace for the undeserving, and that's all of us, right? The vision that Paul elucidates or makes clear with this blessing is that you and I can live full of joy and peace in believing. We can be a community of hope because God is the God of hope. And his spirit is with us in this very way. He is giving us all that we need to be filled and to abound in hope. Now this hope and this joy and this peace isn't contingent upon outward circumstances. What I mean by that is uh, that though the world is a rough place, God's promise here isn't extended to us only when things are good. Only when we have the right leaders in place. Only when the nation is humble and seeking God. That is actually old covenant thinking. No, God's promise to believers, to Christians, is to fill us with hope, joy, and peace. And it's contingent upon Jesus. And us believing. This is part of those better promises that we saw in Hebrews chapter 8. Better promises built on a better covenant. It's the gospel of grace that fuels this community of hope. Gospel is the good news of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus for undeserving people. It is the good news of forgiveness and new birth brought to us by the endless power of the Holy Spirit. It is received with empty hands of faith. So let's unpack this passage here. First of all, how do I know that this passage is for the community of saints and not just for me individually? Well, in a way, it is for both. Yes, it's for you, the individual, together with all the saints. This word translated as you is actually plural. So the correct and southern way of saying this verse would be, and I have this Uh, Verse here, may the God of all hope fill all y'all with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, all y'all may abound in hope. The Louisiana and English standard version. Paul wrote this blessing to the community of saints in Rome. So it was a very specific people, very specific audience. And yet it is true for saints everywhere. 
And so it's for us today. This promise continues to us today. The Holy Spirit energizes the gospel in our lives in a way that we come together as this community of hope filled with joy and peace. God is the God of hope. At Man Cave, we've been talking about knowing God. Well, one of the many, 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 many aspects of God, one of his many characteristics is that he is the God of hope. And we're invited to know the God of hope. Now, I encourage you to read through the book of Romans. Uh, Paul spends a great time telling us of this God of hope. This is chapter 15. This is the benediction. So this is the end of the book. And these four words sum up what Paul has been sharing in Romans. This God of hope is the justifier. He's the sanctifier. He's the creator, the life giver. He's the one who raised his son from the dead. He's sovereign and nothing can stop him. What does God do? Well, of course, it's far more than we can talk about today. But here in this passage, God fills you with all joy and peace in believing so that you would abound. This isn't a wishful thing. It's real. It's serious, down-to-earth joy and peace. It meets us where we're at. Our suffering is real. Our struggles are real. There is real hurt and devastation in our lives. The fall, sin, has taken so much from our lives, from each of us. And yet, there is joy and peace and abounding in hope. Abounding in hope. This means that in the midst of tears and pain and losses, that we are able to keep going. We're able to get up and keep moving and going. Because we have hope in and because of Christ. Ray Ortland said, this world will break our hearts. But our joy and peace will dance on the grave of everything that breaks our hearts. Not because we gain superhuman strength and gain final control over everything that breaks our hearts. But because the risen Christ gets the final say over this world and your life. The God of hope does this through the power of the Holy Spirit. What's your part in it? Well, it's to believe. Joy and peace in believing. Believing the gospel defies everything the enemy throws your way. It defies everything that his voice of accusation says to you. It defies everything that our flesh screams out. Believing God's promises treats God's promises as though they're real because they are real. And so it's the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit that brings us together as this community of hope. Speaking of those who would trust in his death and resurrection, after saying some really hard things and many of his followers walking away, Jesus said, John six sixty three. it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. God saves the believer. The Holy Spirit brings that new life through the work of Jesus, and he takes the believer from darkness to light, as 1 Peter 2 says. And so, brothers and sisters, you have been brought into a family, a new people, a community, whereas before you may not have had a family. You may not have had a sense of belonging. You now have that in Christ. You are now part of this community, his family. 
It's a community of spirit-empowered brothers and sisters filled with hope, joy, and peace. And those who are not yet believers will see this hope, joy, and peace, and they're going to ask questions. 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I believe this. People are going to ask, why do you have hope? So let's talk about a missional community. What do I mean when I say missional or living on mission? I recognize that these are kind of buzzwordy things, and they tend to uh, be spoken of a lot in Acts 29 churches and and things like that. Um, I've already described the quote-unquote mission statement of Grace Life earlier, preach the gospel, make disciples. Missional is the outward focus or aim of reaching those who are not yet Christians with the good news of Jesus Christ to save sinful people, to make more disciples, to baptize people. It's the message of the good news. And it's the way that we bring that to people. How we go about sharing that message is accomplished by understanding the context that we're in. Each community is different. And so the methods we use to reach not yet believers might look different in small towns in New York. It might look different in Avon, Geneseo, Caledonia, etc., etc., compared to New York City or the nations of the world. But some things remain constant. I believe the primary way we do this, no matter where we live, no matter what our context is, is by being the community of hope that we just looked at. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. By being a community that loves one another and is filled, and being filled, again, with hope and joy and peace, I believe that not yet Christians will take note. They'll see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. They'll see how we care and love and serve one another, and they will inquire. This is the primary way we live as a missional community. But I wanna, what I want to talk about this morning isn't so much how this all practically works. I, I will mention some things at the end of this message, uh, kind of practically speaking. But what I want to focus on today is the posture of our missional community. Posture just means a way of dealing with or considering something. It's our approach or our attitude. Now let's turn over to Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Now maybe this seems like an odd text to talk about mission, mission because uh, this is kind of at the end of the story. But let's read it. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. Now, if you noticed, I haven't actually mentioned what the hope is for our community of hope. Well, this is it. Hope 
is, as Sam Storm says, that Jesus Christ will return to this earth a second time to consummate his kingdom, to deliver his people, to banish evil from our world, to destroy every enemy that defies him and his lordship, and to create a new heaven and a new earth where we will live with him in indescribable joy forever. This passage in Revelation shows, it shows us that hope being fulfilled. Jesus rides a white horse. This is a horse of triumph, a horse of victory. When uh, uh, Roman uh, generals and victorious leaders would hold one of their triumph parades, they would ride in on a white charger. Well, Jesus is riding in on a white charger, and so is the armies of heaven. He is called faithful and true. He judges and makes war. His eyes are like fire. I don't know what that looks like yet. He has many diadems on his head. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. He, he is named the word of God, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword. He has a name tattooed on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Jesus, and he is our hope. And so this, brothers and sisters, should firmly anchor our posture for how we live missionally. It's the posture of our missional community of hope. Let us orient ourselves, our whole posture, around this victorious king of kings. And not only is he the king of kings, not only will there be a day when this happens, when he breaks through the clouds, but he has already won. And so we can have a posture of victory, confidence. We live in the liminal space we call the already and the not yet. Liminal is when something touches both sides of something or the transitional stage of something. So kind of like this past summer, Olive was in the liminal space between second and third grade. We live in the space between, and no, not the old Dave Matthews song. We live in the space between the cross and the eternal kingdom. We're touching both shores. Jesus has already won. He is victorious, and he will return to finally vanquish all enemies and establish his kingdom forever, because Jesus has already won the victory on the cross. The serpent crusher that we have been talking about in Genesis has already crushed the head of the serpent. We know that this hope of his eternal kingdom coming to earth is a guarantee because he's already won. He's victorious. He will return. And so this shapes our posture. It shapes our confidence. Jesus didn't just die so that people could might possibly maybe get saved. He didn't die so there might be hopefully maybe wishfully a chance. Jesus died to save people. He died so that many would be saved. There are people right now, they're not yet believers, but you know them. They work with you, they go to school with you, they live next door to you, they're the waiter or waitress at your favorite restaurant. Christ died to save them. See, I think we often live with the mindset of 
wishfulness. We wish people would get saved. We, we think about Jesus' return in kind of wishful ways. Yeah, it sounds like a good thing. I, I, you know, I hope that will happen. The English version of hope lacks a lot of confidence that the word actually carries. Hope is a sureness of Christ's return. Though we don't know when it will be, it's rock-solid confidence that it will happen. And Jesus is inviting us to live in that ultimate reality of that hope, to live in the ultimate reality of his victory. Not just for our own lives and our own forgiveness, but also for how we see the world and how we see the future. Living in light of Christ's victory and his return gives us hopeful confidence instead of wishfulness. And so this shapes the way we live on mission. Turn uh, to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 28 and 29. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Now this is an interesting passage. So Jesus is accused by the religious leaders of casting out demons by the power of Satan. And this was part of his response. But now, we who are on this side of the cross, we know that by his death and resurrection, he has conquered, the, conquered Satan. He has bound the strong man. And so, brothers and sisters, let's plunder the house. When you preach the gospel, when you pray for a neighbor, when you share Christ with a coworker, a friend, a loved one, a teenager, a child, you are plundering the kingdom of darkness. You're taking advantage of the strong man being bound and you are being used by King Jesus to establish his kingdom further and further. You are pushing the darkness back. Matthew sixteen eighteen, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We often think of this passage as the church standing defensively, and the kingdom of darkness, you know, is just not going to push us over. Well, um, gates are a defensive fortification. So what this is saying is that the church will attack the gates of hell, and the gates of hell will not prevail. They'll fall. And so, brothers and sisters, this ought to be our, pa- our posture, one of victory, one of plundering the darkness, one of plundering the kingdom of darkness. 1 John 2.8, at the same time, it is a new commandment, speaking of love for one another, that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So how can we be optimistic and confident rather than being beaten down by the world's ways and the world's systems? Well, it's because the darkness is passing away. It is being pushed back by the light. The light of Christ made visible in the community of hope, his church. What I want you to see this morning is the surety and the confidence that you can have because of Christ. You don't have to fear an unbelieving world. You don't have to fear the attacks of the enemy. You don't have to fear the world's systems and ways. And brothers and sisters, I know we often do fear 
We struggle with fear. But being a part of this community of love and hope and joy and peace will heal you of that fear. First John tells us that perfect love casts out fear. In Acts 4, the early church gathered together in Jerusalem and they prayed for boldness. So let's pray for boldness. Now, I'm not blind to the world. Christians have been and will continue to be marginalized, pressed. It's been so since the start of the church. You know, I've, I've read, I've seen the stats uh, comparing how many people now claim to be a Christian versus those who don't. I've seen the stats that say churches are shrinking. So I know what's being said. It's, it's nothing new. Peter wrote this nearly 2,000 years ago. 1 Peter 4, 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. In the face of being maligned by this world, hold fast to the gospel of Christ, that he was and is victorious over sin and darkness, that you've been forgiven, cleansed, given the Holy Spirit. You've been called out of darkness and into marvelous light, and this marvelous light is pushing back the darkness. I am am confident and hopeful and optimistic that the gospel continues to press into darkness. It continues to set the captives free. It continues to transfer from the domain of darkness those who are going to be a part of the kingdom of the beloved son. No matter what it looks like, no matter what the stats say, no matter what the data looks like, Christ is king. Brothers and sisters, this is our moment. God didn't send Charles Spurgeon or Billy Graham or Tim Keller to your neighborhood. He didn't send, I don't know, fill in the blank with great quote-unquote men of faith, Augustine, to your workplace. God sovereignly placed you where you are. Think about that. This should give you great courage. God's plan for your neighborhood, your village, your town, your workplace, your school, if that's you, is for you to be there. I think this means that God knows some things about you and that place that transcends what you know about you or that place. Now, what I don't want you to take from that is that somehow it all rests on your shoulders, not trying to lay any guilt or condemnation on anyone. What I want you to know is that the same God that hung the stars in the sky, the same sovereign God who did these amazing, incredible things, placed you there. Part of his plan. God does the work of salvation. You're not responsible for the outcomes. You can't control outcomes. But we can be faithful to share the good news where we're at. To love those who are unloved. To be generous, to be kind, to serve. God created you to be you right where he placed you. And so shine that light of the gospel where you are. Knowing that God is the one that saves. And that he's going to. Some practical thoughts here as I wrap this up uh, this morning. We are intentionally at Grace Life, not a very program-driven church. 
Uh, programs are not wrong. They have their place. We have programs, so it would be foolish if I said that we don't. Um, we have programs. They just don't move the ship. We don't have great evangelistic outreaches where uh, we invite all of the communities into this room. This is intentional. Again, not because those things are wrong, they have their place, but because from the very beginning, Grace Life was structured this way, because we believe that you have the greatest chance of reaching your friends, neighbors, coworkers, loved ones, friends, family, schoolmates. And so we encourage gathering regularly with the body, and we encourage that in usually pretty simple ways. We don't get too complicated around here. Uh, but we, we don't want to fill your schedule with all sorts of things, ministry things here, so that you never have the chance to be where God has placed you. We want you to be there. My role as one of the elders here and the other elders as well is to help equip you for the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 5. It's not to do all the ministry. It's to build and edify the body for ministry as the body gathers and then scatters into the regular rhythms of life. And so brothers and sisters, go. Not right now, just wait. <laughs> but go, heralding the good news of Jesus, that no one has outsinned the cross of Christ, that there is no brokenness that cannot be redeemed. And so go and invite people to the greatest wedding feast ever known in all of eternity. I believe Jesus' parable said into the highways and the byways, invite them to this wedding feast. Christ will feast with his bride. And their seats open. Orient your posture and your life around the gospel of Jesus' victorious victory over death and the grave, over his resurrection. Believe it, take it in, gather with the saints, be encouraged and refreshed regularly, and then go where God already has you. Now, sometimes you've got to look around a bit. Sometimes you've got to be a little bit intentional and see what areas you could step into. You know, it, it could be easy just to uh, maybe stay at home. Again, it's good to be with your family. If you have a, a spouse or if you have kids, they are your first mission. But invite people. Go be part of their lives. Take some intentionality into it. You may need to find some places to be. I encourage you to pray. Pray for the church to shine forth the light of the gospel. To push that darkness back. Pray for those who are not yet believers that we will come across that they would hear the good news with faith. Pray about what the mission would look like in your life, in your family's life. Ask yourself some questions. What, does it what do you feel that God is putting on your heart? Is it the people you work with? Is it something you could um, establish? Some, you know, Heaps bought a building. Sorry to pick you out. It's not in my notes. I just thought of it. <laughs> Jesse sometimes runs a basketball camp. What are creative things that you can think of that come to your mind of ways you can reach those who might not yet know Christ? Pray about that. Is it the people you see as you walk through the neighborhood or at the park? Is it the barista at your favorite coffee shop? 
maybe as you get to know these people, as you talk and listen, you'll start to hear some things that you could pray about and ask them, hey, would you mind if I prayed about that situation for you? And pray about it and check back with them. Ask them how that situation turned out. Get to know them, check back over and over. And when the opportunity comes, tell them the good news. Invite people into your homes, share a meal, get to know them, pray for them, share the gospel. And this is for our children as well. Parents, children are not too young to be a part of this community of hope. They're not too young to be on mission. So I want to encourage you parents to find ways to involve your children in the life of the church. Find ways to involve your children in this mission of the church. Sports, arts, school, all the activities they're involved in are wonderful opportunities to be missional. But they need you to guide them through it. You don't just, there you go. They need you to guide them. How can they begin to share this hope that they have? Maybe help them see that, help them to understand that. And on that note, kids, teens, I know maybe I've spoken for a long time and you've tuned me out about 40 minutes ago, Uh, but just give me your attention for a moment. I want to talk to you. Did you know that God has placed you right where you are even now? In your school, maybe in your homeschool co-op, in your family? Uh, He's placed you in the friends group that you have. He's placed you in all the activities that you're a part of. God's done that. His plan for reaching those who don't yet know him involves you. The place you live, the family you have, none of that is incidental, accidental. Sometimes it's very broken. But God loves you. He loves you so, so much. He has a plan for your life. And this gospel that we talk about so much here at Grace Life, it's for you as well. It's not just for your parents. It's not just uh, for these you know, old people here. It's for you. And so listen to that. Hear it. Take it in. Share it with those you, knew, you know. When your friend is hurting or upset, give them a hug. Encourage them. Tell them that God loves them too. Maybe they know that. But just like I need to be reminded of that, your friends need to be reminded of that too. Tell them what Jesus did for them. Finally, and perhaps this is something a little bit radical, I know that talking about these topics uh, for us adults uh, sometimes brings us with some flashbacks, some not-so-pleasant flashbacks to... Um, evangelism conferences and the the pressure to seal the deal. Here's five easy steps for you to make sure you're finding converts every step of the way. Um, I know I have flashbacks to that. (laughs) Chanel cleverly pointed out that the sealing is God's dealing. God seals with the Holy Spirit. So whether you do this or not, whether you do it well, or not. God loves you. And you're just as much a child of God. This does not determine your standing with God. We all miss it. 
sometimes when an opportunity comes up for me, I all of a sudden sound like the biggest idiot in the world. Well, Chanel might say, I always sound like the biggest idiot. (laughs) We struggle to say the right thing. We sometimes don't say anything at all. We walk away saying, man, that didn't come out how I wanted it to. I just want to lift any fear or burden off of you with this. You're not going to get it perfect. And so anchor your confidence in God because he is sovereign and he's the one in control of the outcomes. He's the one who saves. And I want to encourage you that because of grace, you have the freedom to step into this and be faithful and and serve and spread the aroma of Christ. And so go and do this. I just want to encourage us this morning to be part of this missional community through the power of the Holy Spirit. Think and pray about how you might start having these conversations with people who don't know Jesus and look for those opportunities. God loves you. He has loved you from before eternity unfolded into this wonderful plan of of the world being created and, and us being here. He loved you before you loved him. He has filled you with hope. And when someone notices that hope that you have, just have confidence to share about that.